Welcome back to the Next Next Generation podcast. I'm Catherine. And I'm Charles. Today, we are... Discussing, conversing, evaluating, <laughs> meowing. <laughs> Oliver, what is it? One grumpy cat. Come up here. Okay. Our mission, to explore new ideas, to seek out new thoughts and new opinions, to boldly opine where no millennials have opined before. This is the Next Next Generation Podcast. Make it so. Today, we are discussing Season 1, Episode 24, We'll Always Have Paris. What do you think about this episode? You know, I'm not sure on this one. Like, I really want to like it. In fact, I do think overall I like it, but it certainly had its drawbacks. Yeah. And I think there was some things that could have been executed better. I don't know if it was the script or the acting, the ideas maybe behind the script. I kind of feel like I don't know where I'm at on this one. Like, sometimes I'll watch an episode, I know exactly what I'm going to rate it, and I talk about it, and then I give a rating pretty close to that. Yeah. I could go a number of different directions with this one. Let me see what we talk about first, and then we'll figure out where we're at on the episode overall. I was going to suggest let's pull back a little bit. Sure. And think about what was going on in this episode, really. There's always the trapping of some scientific thing or other or engineering thing like in this case the time experiments that Mannheim was performing that was interesting sci-fi business right right okay but what were they really trying to do in this episode and that was develop Picard's character and give him more interesting backstory yeah and what they chose to do was the semi-tragic love backstory Classic. Did we like that for Picard? That's what I've been thinking about since I saw the episode and I haven't decided yet. Hmm. I think that I'm okay with that tragic backstory. Semi-tragic. It's not really tragic. It's just a little bittersweet, you know? Okay. I'm okay with that bittersweet backstory (laughs) if they had executed it better. Okay. Okay. So as always, it's down to execution for you. I think so. Well, let's do this. Instead of doing that as his backstory, what sort of backstory were you hoping for or expecting? People don't always have this kind of conflict where they have to make some epic, life-altering choice. Even in the backstory, they clearly showed that he was ambitious and all that stuff, just like he is now. They could have just had him be ambitious. It doesn't need to have this complication of a love story. Yeah, he has to choose between the girl and the job, and it's a hard decision, and he doesn't feel like he made the right choice, even though he deep down knows it was the right choice, Mm. and regrets how he handled the situation, and all those complicated emotions. So you think it was needlessly complicating the background of his character. Rather than developing his character, it was just making it more convoluted and murky. Maybe not murky, but overall I agree, yeah. It didn't really add depth. Mm. It just added some plot points to keep track of. Regarding him. Also, I kind of thought they were setting up perhaps that he was in love with Beverly and then she picked Mr. Crusher 
over him or he never quite expressed that so she was just doing her thing and oblivious like that kind of thing they seem to have quite a history and still seem interested even in this episode beverly is upset about this woman showing up yeah yeah that would have had that kind of bittersweetness without just inserting another story another character another third wheel if you will yeah I don't know. I don't really like it when single episode characters waltz in and out and are supposed to be so important to a main character's life. It's like they're not important enough to stick around in the show where you can develop these characters into fully realized Mm three-dimensional characters. You're stuck with these single note or two note characters that are important to the main character but not necessarily important to the audience. Yeah. A better way to do that is to have the main character be really important to the one episode character. More of a reversal to what we saw here. Like she shows up and then he finds out that she really cared about him. And he liked her, but it wasn't so important to his life. So that diminishes her role in his life. And it's not like he's torn about something. It's more that he made a mistake, maybe. Ignored her too much. And then it's on him and that shows his personality in a revealing way, more of a flaw than a regretful side. Yeah, yeah, this thoughtful decision he made, maybe he didn't handle it very well at the time by just standing her up, right? Because he was young. Sure. But overall, it was a thoughtful, informed choice. That doesn't really have that idea of the ambitious people just leaving people in their wake as they move through life and they're oblivious to it, you know, and they're not sensitive to the needs of others. It didn't have that, so it didn't feel convincing. I gotcha. Yeah, it didn't have any implications for the future either. If he had this flaw of being ambitious and driven and not sensitive to others, Mm -hmm. that could be interesting in future episodes. We could see that bared out. But here we just got the surface level regret, which he then neatly dealt with in this episode, and then there's nothing to build on for the future. It's not character building. It's more plot points to keep track of. Right, I said the only thing he messed up was the goodbye, right? He didn't say goodbye to her. Everything else about the way he approached it was perfectly fine and sensitive. And indeed, the episode showed all they needed to do was that quick, very quick, actually, goodbye scene in the Paris Cafe. And that was all the resolution they needed for their entire relationship. And all that time of like wondering what happened and stuff. Yeah, that kind of fell flat for me. Very flat. Ah. They have shown, actually, that he actively doesn't involve people to try not to hurt them, which is sensitive. So you felt like it was inconsistent with his character up to this point? I just feel like they were reaching for kind of a normal trope from literature, right? The ambitious man, you know, hurts everyone around him. That's normal. Riker. That's a thing. Right. Riker is doing that currently on the show. Yes. And a much better job showing that. Anyway, so they were reaching for that trope, but they didn't. Like, he's too nice and thoughtful. He's never tried to hurt anyone. Yeah. So I don't know what they were going for then in the end. So let's flip this around for a second. Let's put the episode aside for a moment and let's see. Okay, what if they made this episode still have all the time travel-y stuff, but then that revealed almost in flashback montage more things about Picard's past and his relationship with Beverly. Would you like the episode a lot better then? Yeah, I think it should have been about Beverly. They've been carefully sewing that with Beverly. Again, even in this episode, that was featured. I don't know why it couldn't have just been her. It would have been so much neater. 
and more convincing. Yeah. Like you said, they have been sowing the seeds of this since Naked Now. Mm-hmm. Episode yeah. two. It's been great. Yeah. It's been a nice, subtle development, just like several of the other relationships we've commented on in the show. One other thought. She, Janice, doesn't show up to the date. And he always wondered what happened and then just shipped off. And he never found out. And it was her choice not to see him. They flipped it where it was all her and not him. It might have been smoother and more consistent with his character. Yeah. If they weren't developing the ambitious man trope, right? they could have instead developed the wounded lover who puts love aside and just focuses on his career thing. They were almost there with that. Oh, I could see that a lot more. He's a lot more inward looking and he's quiet and he's super conscientious now. That could all be him trying to not hurt anyone else the same way that he was hurt. Yeah, the way they wrote him overall was a sensitive person. Yeah. Who's taking into account the needs of others while still keeping in mind his own, right? So that one little switch would have better supported what we actually have with Picard. Gotcha. I agree. That Mm. would have been much stronger. Now that we worked that out a little bit, we can get into the episode. Let's do it. Okay. So, fencing. Strong opener. It was cool. I really thought it was the holodeck. Then it wasn't, for once. It was actually Picard and the other guy, the lieutenant, dueling it out. Yeah, it was their designated fencing chamber, <laughs> apparently. The workout zone, maybe? Yeah, it was just the gym. It was a really long scene of fencing. The whole opener. Good choreography was the whole opener. So then they have the time glitch while they're dueling. I found it interesting that they knew that they glitched. Were they repeating what they did, or were they creating multiple time streams that then came back together? Well, it looked like it kind of went into reverse, Mm -hmm. and then happened all over again in that instance. In future iterations, though, it was like there was multiple copies of them interacting and occurring not in the same space but in slightly distant space because they were moving for there it was a quick little glitch repeating exactly what they had said but later on like data had a competition with himself one in the hallway one in the elevator and that's different i think so they were just seeing kind of random time distortions yes difficult to predict because they don't know what's going on neither does Mannheim. no He's playing with forces beyond his ken. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, that seemed very evident by the episode. They also say the computers were affected, which means it happened in real time, which I thought was an interesting note. I thought so too. So they get the distress call from Mannheim. It's a pre-recorded message. It has coordinates. The crew doesn't think that it's related to the time distortion, but Picard is 100% convinced that it is because he knows that's the area of Mannheim's research. They have some exposition explaining what he did as a scientist and how he left Earth to go to a better place to do his time and gravity experiments. Basically, he's trying to rip into the fabric of space-time, yeah? Seemed like it. Yeah. So it kind of hints at building on what we already know. Einstein's theories, yes. Uh huh. But adds in, he's pretty much sure that there are other dimensions, which we only are like thinking there might be, but he's like, they're pretty much there thinking that there are for sure. And in Star Trek, they bear that out to be the case and to be true that there are multiple dimensions and multiple timelines. Even in the Abrams films, they play with that. Right. And in future episodes of TNG, they have that. 
even in this episode, the little time distortions we saw where the characters were multiple. I mean, technically that was that, creating multiple dimensions that were very close together. Right, and we've even speculated that the Q have that ability to make pocket dimensions and to manipulate space-time that way as well. So it's pretty clear it's part of TNG canon and Star Trek canon to have these multiple parallel realities going on. Yeah, I like it when they stick with this level of science. Pretty much what we know is probably the case, but we have no way to interact or manipulate with these things at all currently. So it's believable that they'd be, like, getting to some way of doing that. It's not so far out that it's almost like magic and you have to kind of have a lot of disbelief. It's close enough to our modern-day science that you're like, okay, I can buy that. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say that you could argue that with technology like they have with going light speed, all that would already have unfolded itself naturally. Anything like accessing other dimensions and things like that. We've speculated that they are in a different dimension when they go light speed, and that's why they don't hit stuff. So you think that they should have this all figured out more, given their technology, mm-hmm. than they actually do on the show. If they have applied the light speed technology to practical engineering use, their physics should be fully developed on that front. They exposit majorly here. (laughs) Expedition drop. (laughs) Yeah, kind of like they did with Data's creator, Noonie and Soong, and they were all dropping knowledge there. He's similar type going off to do his experiments. Just don't stand in his way or be nearby because you might get killed. (laughs) Very much so. Picard is really upset with the mention of Mannheim. He says he didn't have the pleasure when someone asked if he met him, which I thought was more of his diplomatic doublespeak for that he did meet him, but it wasn't a pleasure, kind of like he did to the oil slick in Mm. the last episode. Yeah, I could see that. He told them, we do have the capabilities and never agreed to help. I thought it was that kind of thing, but it wasn't. He actually hadn't met him. Hadn't met him, but had met his wife. Yeah. Troy notices he's really upset. Yeah, she does. And basically tells him he needs to go take a time out. (laughs) sort out his feelings he does not seem to appreciate it but she does a really good job not pushing him too far in her suggestions and making him too uncomfortable that he'll just completely shut off and so she lets him go and he actually does go to try to sort it out a little bit and he goes to the holodeck and goes to paris yeah it's really cool futuristic paris i like that kind of sci-fi epic scope the flying cars and the suspended monorails and pipes, and it looked really, really neat. I liked it a lot. It was kind of a quick view of the city, but they did, you know, keep the skyline and then add stuff, which is how things really work. Yeah. A lot of times in sci-fi, they just tear everything down and build it up again. Yes, there'll be more skyscrapers, but it won't be like all the old ones are gone too. you got to have some of the old mixed with the new, not all at once. I really liked, I noticed, They had maybe a train or something, a tube running right underneath the Eiffel Tower. I thought that was so realistic. They were like, oh, we we have space. Just put it underneath. It's fine. No big deal. Yeah. Doesn't matter that it's a modern wonder of the world. Just underneath there. That'll work. So that's when we find out he was supposed to meet someone at the bar or the cafe, sorry. But he didn't. And there's other young women there that are making him think of the past. And he's getting pretty emotional, and that's when he gets fed up. 
I actually didn't like the way that they handled the scripting in the scene. I thought it was so on the nose to have the women talking about the very thing that he did in the past. I know they need a way to communicate that to the audience, but I didn't feel like this was the appropriate way to handle that issue. I would have preferred if Picard had been sort of musing to himself and then kind of said it, half-mumbled way, a slight flashback or something, where you get the impression of what happened without it being so on the nose. Yeah, this episode had a lot of lazy screenwriting with exposition. Another thing is someone could have sat down with him and he could have started telling that person about what happened to him. Yeah, I could have used Riker there. Riker could have come with him or Data or one of the other officers. Why didn't Troy follow him? She could have followed him and had a little council sesh. I like that she didn't follow him because I think she could tell she had already pushed him far enough in her encouragement to deal with his emotions. I think Riker would have been great because he heard the conversation, right? Picard was like, you can tell everyone (laughs) to Troy. And that would have been a nice parallel to when Picard joined Riker in the Bourbon Street bar in uh, 110111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111111
like you said, and it should be a big deal. And it's not. And the fact that the characters are not reacting realistically really hurts our immersion in this episode. I agree. There was a lot of taking things in stride and not having appropriate reactions to things in this episode. And we'll get to more of that in a minute. So, they finally get to Vandor 4, which is really cool visually. Yeah, I liked the way that they showed the little planetoid close in frame in the distance. They had the pulsar blinking away. They talked about the binary star system and the two having elliptical orbits around each other. There was some great science there. Yeah. They don't get into this rate then. They think that he picked this system, Mannheim picked this system, to draw energy from the pulsar for his experiments. Right. Which is true, but he's also drawing energy from this mysterious energy source inside the planetoid. Yeah, that was weird. They could have just left it at the pulsar. Yeah. And then they never explained this additional power source? Nope, they never did. It was just kind of mentioned as... Well, we need to explain this more because it's so weird. We know it's weird, but then they don't have the characters reacting, and then they don't explain it. Like you said, lazy writing in this episode. So anyway, when they first get to the planetoid, they get this lady on the intercom, and it's just her and one other person, and the other person's having convulsions. That's Mannheim. They immediately beam them up to sick bay. They have this thing where it's like, oh no, we can't get you up because of the force fields. And then she immediately figures out how to shut them off. And it's no big deal. It's kind of like the last episode with the crystals. They're like, oh, it's a problem. Oh, no, it's not. I I don't know what the point of that is. Building tension and then obliterating any of it by fixing the problem immediately. There's nothing interesting about that because we don't have enough time to sort of savor the building of the tension. It should have been a multi-step process to disable the shields. But because we're stuck on the Enterprise, we're not seeing her go through the motions of doing it. It's all tell, not show. Yeah, and they could have just cut that out, period. They could have cut a lot of things out in this episode, period. So this is where we find out that she's married to Mannheim. Right. So that's the whole drama, love triangle business. Also, they say here that there is a second lab. The entire rest of the crew was in the lab and got killed at the same time, and because of the security system they have on it, no one can get in and figure out what happened. That sounds like, oh no, I murdered a bunch of people, and now I made up a scenario. For some reason, they just go with that. Take him at his word about that one. Yeah. Who knows what's going on out there? People go crazy in these remote outposts. And he has, actually, a little bit. There wasn't anything to completely convince us that no one was murdered at any time. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) The episode spent so little time on that that I didn't realize that could be a possibility. But now that you mention it, he does seem the type to murder people. Yeah, who knows what he would do, right? Well, he had to leave the Federation to do his experiments because he felt like he was defrauded. He has a lot of Mm -hmm. anger and Mm -hmm. resentment. And then he seems very foolhardy by the end. Sent them into that parallel dimension. They got stuck there or split in half or who knows what crazy we don't know they could have just done away with the rest of the scientists too and not had them be part of the story once again like why were they even there it would have made so much sense you know it's just him out there with his wife he's slowly going crazy with all this pressure that would explain how slow his progress was because it was just him everything would have added up better if it were just Mannheim and janice out there Yeah, this episode keeps adding in extra bullet points because they feel like more bullet points makes a better story. More bullet points do not make a better story. (laughs) Streamlined efficiency is always good. The simple explanation is best. 
these are simple writing tricks and if you're just adding bullet points of information that's not going to be more interesting to the audience it's character driven exploration there is no suspense either it's okay to have lots of bullet points if you're building from one to the next and it has a cohesive organic nature as it unfolds the narrative but overall we don't get that we get exposition exposition and more of it i felt like we never ever got out of the premise stage keeps setting premises up but never really pays off on any of them they have picard they set up his love interest they have this scientist who's going crazy which they seem to really enjoy in the show and then they have his crazy experiment that might kill them okay the stage is set the players are there then nothing happens you're so right everything happened off screen and they're just cleaning it up that's the story that's bad writing Oh, man, this is getting worse the more we pick it apart. <laughs> I knew I didn't feel good about it, but oof. So they talk to Janice, and we find out, you know, just more exposition pedestrian stuff. They can't get to the lab. He was starting to take extra precautions, and now she's like, oh, that makes so much sense because everything's blowing up. Now he is having convulsions, but we'll get back to her in a minute because that's when they're looping. They really start looping. Picard, Data, and Riker go in an elevator, and they see themselves again. Yeah, the way they shot that was great. Everything with the actual time distortions, I really liked. Mm -hmm. As a premise, that premise, that was the interesting thing about the episode. And that was why when we spent all this time on the love triangle stuff, we want to see the distortions. We want to see more of that. In fact, I thought they could have done like two or three more of them. and They could be Mm -hmm. getting worse and building, again, building tension. Use your device and then use it again. It's a great gimmick. All kinds of different things with it, but we didn't get any of that. I expected them to have it happen a lot more and maybe to compound. Me too. Yeah, because they could have split their splits and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. It could have gotten really crazy by the end. (laughs) That would have been amazing. How cool would that have been? Data christens it the Mannheim effect, if you will. (laughs) I like Mannheim. I like his effect. Let's see more of it. Yeah. So they try to go down to the surface, Riker, Data, and Worf, and they can't land, if you will. They beam them back up, and they almost lose them. Again, everyone's very calm about the whole thing. They don't have their transporter person, Yar, to give it the appropriate amount of gravity and skill. The actor playing the transporter guy didn't seem that freaked out at all. He was just kind of calmly moving the buttons around, mm-hmm. you know. It Shaking been. the screen, if you will. <laughs> There should be a little more urgency. Yeah. Panic. You bit. almost lost your superior officers. That's a big deal. Maybe he was happy. <laughs> <laughs> Want to get rid of Riker? Yeah, Riker. Ugh. Always breathing down his neck, yeah. inspecting everything. They say here there was a lack of integrity at the landing point. They could have shown that physically. There's the time distortion, but it could have been affecting the other dimensions at this point as it grows from the source. I like that. Yeah, it starts to fracture physical worlds, time, everything. I like that a lot. That's the natural progression of the premise, right? Yeah, you definitely. set this up and then it gets worse and then it has cause and effect on other things. That would have been a better written story, I think. So Mannheim wakes up, he's very upset, but he tells Janice, you know, it was all worth it. For some reason. So he says that he did see the other dimension. And part of him's still there, and that's why he's having these problems. Beverly says he's dying. Oh, and this is the point where they find out he opened this crack, ripped the fabric of their reality. They need to close it. 
So this is where they get their kind of final plot mission. <laughs> they need to get down to the planet and close this thing off. Uh, the final plot premise. Yeah. So now let's talk about Janice. Ah, uh, Janice. She's been with her husband for a while. She doesn't express any animosity towards him. And in the end of the episode is going to stick with him, okay? She's not ready to leave him for Picard or anything like that. He is dying, and she doesn't seem to care at all. It's completely weird and inconsistent with the rest of her behavior. Yeah, we even commented on that while we were watching the episode. I looked over and said, does she care about him at all? I I know she does care because they tell us she cares, but... None of her actions support what they're telling us. She's off flirting. Yeah, really. Hardcore. Yeah. At Picard. And reliving the good old days and having their back in the Paris cafe moments. That's not the kind of concern we want to see on screen. That's not bad to have those scenes. I'm not saying that at all. But I would love to see more of her being worried, being anxious, needing some comfort. There's a little bit of that, but not enough. And she should have been by his side more, should have been trying to figure out how to fix it. Maybe she addresses the issue by taking action. That would have been a strong point in her favor. They highly emphasize that she was helpless and not really an agent in her own life. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Even one of her last things was how Picard should always like come to her rescue and stuff. <sighs> yeah, that was odd. The actress was very flat. She didn't show a lot of emotion. This is an emotional situation. And when your husband's dying, that's why I clarified with she has no intention of leaving him, doesn't seem mad at him or anything like that. When your husband's dying, everything else just kind of gets dropped and put on hold, including meeting up with your former lover. You know, that's just not as important as what's going on with her husband, Paul. I don't understand. Her actions, the story tells us she cares, really betray the fact that she really doesn't care that much about him. He's sort of the husband of convenience at the moment, and she really wants Picard. It seems like it. I guess, but, you know, even if you weren't in love anymore or whatever, I think it would still be distressing and distracting from doing something like flirting. I agree. To have your longtime partner be dying. That's a big deal. That's a very big deal, and I I mean, you could be divorced and stuff and still care. Seriously. Yeah. That's like, that's serious. Yeah, they have this weird conversation. Her and Picard about how he stood her up. She doesn't want the truth that he was being a thoughtful, reasonable human. She just wants to hear that he messed up the time. It's very weird. I didn't like that scene at all. No. I didn't like they portrayed her as weak. I didn't feel like she was a weak character. The actress wasn't a weak person. The way she was portraying the character, I don't know if that was her attempt to kind of fix the sort of flighty, unaware, no agency girl thing, act through that bad writing. I wish they would have gone for something a little more three-dimensional and realistic. People are not that helpless in life, ever. Also, she's much older now. I feel like they wrote her a little bit like she was 20. And they kind of allude to that because she says to Picard, he just thinks of her like that still. But, I mean, we're not seeing the show through Picard's perspective. We're third-person omniscient, so that doesn't justify it. She's even playing into it with all the flirting and the way she's acting and carrying herself is like a 20-year-old. Mm-hmm. She's almost playing up the helpless little girl thing. She's just very flat and it feels like we don't know what's going on in there. Most of the characters in Star Trek are very emotionally expressive, men and women. 
feel like Data is more expressive in this show than her. In this episode, Beverly is more expressive about being annoyed that there's another woman around that Picard is interested in. She played that very well. That was a very strong scene for Beverly and for Troy. I like that Troy was taking more action in this episode. That's she a positive. She was great. We're finally seeing her do her thing, like kind of wandering around, running into emotionally disturbed people and trying to help them out a little bit. So sweet. Yeah. <laughs> it's a nice development for her character. And we've talked about how they've set up that she wasn't able to do that as well. And now she is, and it's a great payoff. So that's really nice to see that arc being pushed forward. But Beverly, though, seriously, like just compare her to Janice in this episode. She's upset when she sees Picard interested in this woman. Then she has to go and try to save her husband from dying. Beverly has no idea what's going on with the husband, and he's such a noted figure in science. She's upset to be losing him, and then she has to think about Picard again, and then back to her patient, and it's just much more complicated. That's a complex set of emotions to act through. And she does, though. And she conveys them brilliantly. Yeah. Hats off to Gates McFadden for doing that. Really good stuff. So we're saying good casting, bad, you know, episode for episode casting in general. Yeah. I'm going to take this probably one-time opportunity to point out that in my favorite episode of all time, Too Short a Season, (laughs) the Admiral's Wife, that's how you behave when you're upset but also mourning your life partner. Your favorite episode, huh? That actress, that's the right emotions. She was concerned. She was distraught. Furious. All these strong emotions. That's what you are. You're not flat and flirting meaninglessly. She was not showing any of the stages of grief. No. Denial, bargaining, depression, all those things. You could probably argue that it was denial. But I think it was a little soon for that. It was denial like the entire way. She never ever got out of that phase. Yeah. At all. But that's us trying to justify it. I don't think it can be. I think it's bad writing. It's plain and simple. And then, of course, they went with Mannheim calls Picard to his deathbed and is like, take care of Janice. She's a helpless woman who never really loved me, always loved you. He doesn't say that part. Heavily implied, though. Again, drawing heavily on things that have been done by better writers. Let's be real here. Yeah. Yeah. So, better part of the episode. Yay! Picard decides to send Data alone to the planet. Data is adorable. He's like, that's true. Since I'm a machine, I'm more expendable. Excellent. And Picard has to take a second to kind of turn away from him so he doesn't laugh. And says, like, no, on the contrary, you're invaluable. And then explains to him how he's noticed Data can handle the time better. Right. And that leads to our data of the day. It does. Yay. Data says, I see time as a constant, whereas humans perceive time as flexible. Hence the expression, time flies when you're having fun, which until now has always eluded me. A good quote by Data and a great decision on Picard's part. He's showing that he's being aware of his crew and their capabilities. It was great to see him go and use Data effectively in this scene. So, with Mannheim's improved coordinates, yes. Data beams down, and then it's action data. He peers around the corner, yes, holding his pistol, and something tries to shoot him, but he's too quick. He tumbles out of the way. 
with the grace of a jungle cat. He peeks back around the corner and shoots it. It's gone. He casually reports back to home base about extra booby traps. No problem. Action data's got it. Do-do-do. <laughs> as soon as they said they were sending data down alone, I was like, yes. Yes. Data can do it. He's worth five people. He can do it. <laughs> we knew at that point they were saved. Data's yep. on the job. Data can handle anything they can imagine, possibly maybe being able to handle as a human. Data's definitely got it. He's got it. That's not going to be outside of his abilities. Not at all. He ends up splitting into three and has a conversation with himself where they figure out which one is in the correct time stream. <laughs> I think they figured it out because he views time as a constant, like he said. He knew, he knew where he was, right? Where he was. Because you remember the whole thing. You don't forget what R- happened. Right. Yeah. Took him a second because he was a little confused by the other versions of himself. And then he's like, no, wait, I know where I'm at. I am an android. I can handle this. They ask him if it's fixed. And he says it's patched in that it can never truly be fixed once it's broken. <laughs> and they kind of chuckle at him a little bit. Data saves the day. Woohoo! Action data. Action data. Available at a Toys R Us near you. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, they're all closed. Oh, right. Well, that's okay because it wasn't a real product. So with that, Mannheim's fine. Back to normal. A-OK, 100%. Should probably be dead because he got split in half when they closed the Rift. other dimension. Yeah. Yep. Okay, yep. whatever. I'm with you on that. Janice is just like, yeah, sticking with him. He's going back to work. You had something to say about this. Yeah, Picard just casually offers the Federation's help. Like, yeah, it's no big deal that you potentially could have destroyed our universe. It's no big deal that you casually happen to tear a rip in the fabric of space-time. When that happens in Doctor Who, I mean, he's on it. He's, like, mad when that happens. And here it's just like, oh, well, you know, go ahead. and Go back to researching normally. Maybe we're putting the whole galaxy in jeopardy. We're exploring it for new things, but we have someone in our backyard over here. Might just rip it all in half. It's a big issue. And he just gets to go back, and there's no Federation intervention like the federation may be interested he said maybe they should be in fact they should be stopping him i thought he might be court-martialed for what he just did well, he can't be court-martialed because he's not in the federation i mean starfleet put on trial or maybe just told to stop it monitored or oversight i just felt like the federation would have a bigger stake in world ending events <laughs> potentially world ending events it's so off the cuff and then they're like well have fun with your research and your wife and Everything's back to status quo. Again, the reactions in this show, this episode, are not what they should be. So the Federation wasn't interested in him before. And I think that's because they believed what he was doing was not possible. Right. So Picard is probably right that the Federation will be interested now. that <laughs> He's actually done it. But Picard does frame it as offering aid. And I think you're right. If anything, they're going to be telling him to stop. Or taking over. Taking over, yeah, now that he's done it. He knew just enough to do it. He doesn't really know enough to control it or fully understand what he's doing. He also does talk about what he saw in the other dimension, beings that live in a way that's completely incomprehensible to humans. The other aliens are always warning the humans that they're not ready. They're not ready. They're not ready. We've heard that so many times just in one season. Yes. They are not ready for the other dimension. 
We know. They're not even ready for a lot of the other species in their own dimension. Right. That's a really bad idea. They should shelve it until they've evolved. I agree. Maybe that's Wesley's job, you know. Here's the next stage in human evolution. Mozart with propulsion. That's the one. Yeah, okay. Maybe that's not him then because that's not propulsion. And then, you know, they have their goodbye in the cafe, just like we mentioned. I think it's enough said about that. It's a lame ending to a lame episode. Yeah, uh. pretty much. Final thoughts. Okay, this episode is stuck in premise land. Mm. It cannot get out of premise land. I like that. In addition, this episode is very expository and does a bad job of telling a convincing and interesting story. There are three high points in this episode. Troy and Beverly is one. Seeing action data is another. <laughs> And the date of the day. That is the only high points in this episode that I see. Okay, maybe also the premise is really good. I do like the time distortion thing. So I'll add that in too. So there are four things in this episode that are high points. The rest of it, kind of low. So I'm going to give it only four points out of ten action data dolls. Hypothetical points, just like the hypothetical toy. This episode. I'm not about to tear a new one, don't worry. Maybe I am. We'll see what happens. (laughs) I don't really know what I'm going to say. Oh, God. The writers seem to have picked out of their hats of sci-fi concepts to use and then picked out of another hat of a bunch of tired, worn-out literary tropes to mix in. I don't know how any of it was necessary. Once again, I'm intrigued by the science parts, and I wish they had explored that more. A recent episode that was similar was when they were studying the sun before they ran into the drug-addicted aliens. What happened to that? I don't know. They don't either, even though it was so important at the time. This time distortion thing is fascinating. I would have liked to see a lot more of it. I don't like what they've done for Picard here. I hope they drop it and it never comes up again. It probably could have been salvaged by a better performance from the actress who played Janice, honestly, though. It would have at least been okay if she had been more dynamic and convincing. You mentioned the good interaction between Beverly and Troy. They showed more emotion and depth with their little thing about Beverly being jealous of Picard than Janice did in the whole episode with everything she had going on in her life that was totally crazy. Data was great, though. Yeah, I like the beginning and the end, but I'll just love stuff. I like what they're doing with Riker's character right now with his, like, confused, like, need for human companionship and then not really wanting to put in the work. That's great. Like, we don't need multiple people having love problems. That's not what the show's about. There's more to life and more to character development than romantic relationships. And a sci-fi show should definitely know that. So, for Action Data alone, I love him so much. I'm going to give this episode 4 out of 10 Eiffel Tower Subway Tunnels. This has been Season 1, Episode 24, We'll Always Have Paris. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Next Next Generation Podcast. You just love it when I tear shells a new one, don't you? <laughs> <laughs>
Can you tell that I hold in all my criticism and disgust with everything around me all day most of the time? Yeah. Because you just land past these ones. I wish I could say that kind of stuff to people. <laughs> There's more to life than romantic relationships and sci-fi shows to know that. That's true. There's so much more. That's such a juvenile approach to writing. To, yeah. to develop characters through romance. It's just... And Picard, like, they, he's better than that. Yeah. Yeah, he should be having some sort of other issue or some other flaw that he's trying to work through. Some sort well, of personality We suggested quirk. some flaws. Yeah, like we did. Like, in the very last episode, he was um, impatient. Right. He thought he knew better, and he just pushed his way through. That could have had repercussions. That would have been a great character development. Good flaw. That fits with what we already know about him. That's what we were kind of struggling through at the beginning of this. It doesn't go with his character, what they were trying to do. Yeah, it's a rough one. Follow us on Twitter, add us at the next next gen. We don't do any paid promotion of this podcast, and your word of mouth helps us to grow our show. Please leave us a review and a rating on iTunes and Stitcher. That really helps us out. Thanks to everyone who listens regularly, and we'll be back soon with another episode.